I'll go up and talk to people I don't even know. And I never would have done that before through hiking. And that's probably one of the biggest things that's changed. Oh, yes. I was terrified of hitchhiking on the AT when I first started. Like, I actually had to work up the courage to go stand on the side of the road and stick my thumb out. Because I'd always been taught growing up that, like, oh, hitchhikers, you don't want to pick them up. They're, they could be terrible people. <laughs> and I was by myself the first time I did it. And, goodness, I can remember heart beating and just literally praying I didn't get a ride from some crazy person. <laughs> Welcome to the Hiking Through Podcast. I'm Erin Egan, and this is the podcast where I talk to experienced through hikers about their adventures on the trail and strategies for successfully completing a through hike. Today's guest is Crunchmaster, known off trail as Trevor Pike. He developed his love of hiking with his grandfather while section hiking the AT. In 2013, he picked up the pack again to through hike the AT, blogging so his grandfather could follow his journey. He then fell in love with the PCT hiking it for the third time in 2019. In this episode, we talk about how this year's journey differed and the lengths he'll now go for ultralight. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at hiking-through.com. Through spelled T-H-R-U, of course, where you can also find show notes, photos, and links for any gear mentioned in this podcast. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts and all the other podcast places. Enjoy my conversation with Crunchmaster. Hey, Trevor. Hey, how are you? I'm good. For your information, I guess. The editing that I end up doing is really, mm-hmm. really minor. I mean, it it really is. These podcasts are really presenting the conversation and almost its entirety. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so they're going to get the real you. That's, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've really enjoyed, enjoyed the podcast. I was listening to pretty much every episode while I was on trail this year. Oh, fantastic. So yeah, it was, it was good. <laughs> Did any of them, uh, any of their, their experiences feel familiar at that moment? Definitely. Yeah. Not so much. So I'm good friends with Grizzly. That was actually one of the first ones I listened to. And so I didn't, well, we'll probably talk about it, but I skipped the Sierras for the most part this year and then came back later. So like hearing all his stories were were pretty crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The Sierras this year were wild. Yeah. (laughs) I got to experience it a little bit beginning, but then decided to flip, so... How did that go for you? Or I guess maybe I should back up and say, were you expecting to flip or was that a decision that you made kind of at the last minute as you were getting towards Kennedy Meadows? It was actually a decision I made after reaching Kearsarge Pass. Okay. So my original plan was to hike straight through before all the snow melt, before the river crossings were dangerous. And then we made it out Kearsarge the day before like this huge storm came in and dumped like two plus feet of snow. Oh, wow. But then we took like three zeros in Bishop. And really that's when I decided like, it's better to flip and keep making miles somewhere else 
but then I had other friends that wanted to take like two weeks off mm. and I didn't have the money to do that. So I just wanted to keep moving, even if it meant five to 10 miles a day. And then that's when I flipped to Ashland, Oregon and went north from there. Right. And then you got up to, to Manning and then you came backwards uh, to be able to finish up. I actually did Oregon North. And then when I got to Cascade, I slipped again up to the Northern Terminus. Okay. Because it was about the right time for Sobos to be starting and I wanted to be around more people. Did you then re-hike through Oregon or did you then skip forward again once you hit uh, Bridge of the Gods? I skipped forward again at Bridge of the Gods and then back to Ashland. And from there, I went south back to uh, Kearsarge Pass. How did you do with all of that? Well, I guess maybe I actually, maybe I should ask you first, how militant are you about uh, staying, you know, staying on the trail, doing one continuous hike and that kind of thing? I, I mean, I know that you've done the PCT a number of times at this point, so it may be a little less precious, but, but how was that flipping all over the place in order to get all of the miles done, but not necessarily continuous? Uh, so continuous isn't, necessarily important to me as long as I just hike all the miles. Okay. My first through hike in 2015, I was able to do a continuous footpath. And that was really important to me for that first one. Mm-hmm. And then this year I wanted to do that, but then I just realized best chance of me finishing meant flip-flopping. And logistics were hard trying to find rides from all those places. Oh, um, sure. My dad came out to meet me in Cascade Rocks, so I was able to get a ride from him from there up to Manning Park, which made things way, way easier. But other than that, we just had to, me and the people I was hiking with, had to just reach out on the Facebook page and kind of just find rides to get around. So so you were, like, mentally, it didn't mess with you, because I, I, following a couple of other people and that, that flip-flopping kind of was messing with them mentally, you know, in terms of like, what does this all mean if I'm not doing it this way or, or whatever? Yeah. So mentally it was more just weird, not really like a struggle, but I was like hitting my halfway point in Stahican, Washington, which is normally <laughs> the last resupply right. town. So it's like, it's just, you have to adjust mentally because it's like reaching the Northern terminus. It was not the same feeling I've had in previous years mm-hmm. where you walk up to the monument and you feel all that emotion of finishing this time you're walking up and you're like, Oh, I'm only halfway. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot different, a lot different experience. And so what was the, like, what was the end like for you? Did you hike sort of all the way up to exactly where you had left off or go a little bit further in order to get some sort of nice finish? I hiked just to the junction where I had left off. Okay. My original plan was to re-hike over Forrester Pass and finish on Mount Whitney because mm. I didn't do that in early May. It was just too much snow. Yeah. And I was already carrying too much food. But the closer I got to Cheetah Sarge, I just decided that I my body was tired and I just didn't want to keep going. <laughs> So I just hiked out to your Sarge Pass. Uh, you bring up a good point. How was your body this time around? And how did that compare to the other times that you've hiked? Just, I guess, for, for the audience to be aware, this is the third time you've done the PCT. 
Um, and then you've also done the AT and you've done a, a large section of the CDT. Yes, about 1,200 miles of the CDT. So so how did your how was your body this year, this time, as compared to, to prior? Uh, despite this year being the hardest physically, just because of all the snowpack, I actually felt stronger this year okay. than I think I've ever felt on any hike. I mean, I was doing 30-plus mile days through Northern California, and even I did a 70-mile day, my final day in the Sierras, and I could have kept going. My body was feeling great. And I'm not really sure why it is. Like last <laughs> year was an average, last year was an average snowpack. Yeah. And I had moments where I really struggled last year. Like I thought I was going to have to get off trail because my body was just shutting down. What did you change up between years? Really nothing. Diet stayed pretty much the same. I was taking more daily vitamins this year, which I'm sure probably helped a little bit. But other than that, I really just did the same thing. My pack was a little bit lighter as well. Was that just a change in pack or just a change in what you were carrying with you? Just a change in what I was carrying. I went a little more uncomfortable this year <laughs> as far as like my sleep system, and which was tough at first, but I ended up getting used to it. And I think in the, in the long run, it helped me move along a lot quicker. How many pounds are we talking here? So for Roughly half the hike, like after I was done with most of the snow, my base weight was probably six to seven pounds. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so I wasn't carrying any tent. I didn't carry a tent from Syed Valley all the way to Kearsarge. So I was pretty much risking getting rained on. Yeah. And my plan was if it rained, then I was just going to walk no matter what time of day it was. <laughs> you just keep walking. <laughs> yeah, that was... Thankfully, it only rained at least three times in the last like month and a half. And did you? And it was all during the day. Okay, so it didn't. Yeah, you didn't have to test the theory of walking. I did not. (laughs) (laughs) Mother Nature was kind. Very, very kind. It was very hot. That was the only downside. Yeah, that was something else I hadn't experienced because I had never flip flopped like this. As I was going through Northern California in August. So water sources were drying up and it was like a hundred plus every day, Mm -hmm. pretty tough conditions, but that was the PCT for 2019. That was, everything was tough. (laughs) Yeah. How was that finding water sources and things like that? Cause you would have been in front of the Sobo bubble, correct? At that point? Yes. That was roughly two weeks, two to three weeks in front of the, like the first group of Sobos. Right. But actually, right when I flipped down to Ashland, I was like right with the, pretty much the main bubble of Nobos, the <laughs> ones that had continued north. Okay. So that was kind of a shock, like seeing that many people, because I hadn't been around that many people the whole, the whole way. Mm-hmm. But there were still pretty up-to-date water reports, so that wasn't an issue. But after a few weeks of going south, it was like, Nothing had recent reports, so I was just kind of having to go with the flow and hoping that things were still flowing. Now, where were you getting your water reports from? Uh, Gut hook. Okay. How many people were you traveling with? Like, what what was your your trail family like at that point? Or how many, yeah, how many people were in that group? 
So the group going south, it was just me and Smiles, who I started the trail with. Uh, we never really had anybody join us. We would have one or two join for like a week or so, but then they would drop off the trail. We were the only two that kept kept going together, and we were on the same flip-flopping schedule. I was going to say, and that was by mutual agreement that you guys, you guys both kind of kept that same flip-flopping schedule or yeah, I guess it was flip-flopping at that point schedule and wanted to stay together. Yeah, we wanted to stay together. We knew if we started doing separate things, we'd basically be hiking the rest of the trail alone. Yeah. And neither of us wanted that. Now, uh, actually speaking of smiles, if I remember correctly from your videos, there was a point in time where she had to stop or get off the trail for a little bit because of injury, right? That is correct. That was around Big Bear, so pretty early on in the hike. Yeah. But you kept you kept going forward, and then she kind of met up with you later on. Yeah, so I kept hiking at normal speed to uh, Casa de Luna, okay. and then I ended up zeroing there for like four days, and she ended up catching me, catching me right before I left there. And then we were together from there the rest of the way. So basically, she was four days behind you, but she was still hiking. She didn't jump forward and catch up with you that way no she kept hiking from where she she got off trail how was that i guess i watching your videos it, it felt like because whatever injuries that she was having and that some of the other people in your group were having had started a little earlier than that but you were feeling fine so you had kind of it felt like you were kind of making the decision to stay with them um and not uh, sort of hike ahead. Um, is that that's correct? Yeah. Okay. How how was that? Like, what was what was your your head or mindset there? Just important to stay with the group and and that kind of thing, or I wanted to stay with the group because I knew there was no rush to get to Kennedy Meadows. Mm-hmm. I already knew I was going to be getting there very very early. But I wanted to form a group to go through the Sierras with because I knew it was going to be dangerous conditions. Yeah. So I was already thinking about that in the first couple hundred miles of the trail. Like, who am I going to go in with? And if I'd gone normal speed all the way, I probably would have gotten there by myself mm-hmm. and then just had to sit and wait. As opposed to joining a different group that was going in? Yeah, I just formed good relationships with the people I met in the first like week or two and there really wasn't too many people ahead of me i think there was maybe two groups that left kennedy meadows before our group okay and if i had gone to my normal pace i think i would have actually gotten there before that first group Mm, and that would have definitely been a problem too yeah i would have either had to enter the sears alone which i really didn't want to do (laughs) or just sit in kennedy meadows and wait Mm mm-hmm so I really just took my time through the desert. When when did you start again? I started March 19. How does that compare with 2015 and 2018? 2015, I started the normal start time for most people, mid-April. And that was a record drought year, so there was no worries about snow. Mm-hmm. And then last year, I actually started March 4. <laughs> because I I didn't think I was hiking the PCT until literally two weeks before starting. I had a buddy call me up and he was like, 
I'm doing the trail this year. Do you want to join me? And of course I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't you? I had to apply for, that was pretty much the only permit day that was open still. Oh, wow. And that's when he was planning on starting anyway. So it just ended up working, working out. So he hadn't gotten his permit yet. He did. I think his was March 5, but we ended up starting March 4. Wow. That's, that's very, a lot of coincidence. <laughs> what do you do that allowed you to kind of two weeks before leaving say, okay, I'm going to be gone for five months or whatever? So I was at Amazon at the time. Oh, okay. And they actually require a one week notice when you work there. But I literally went in the next day and told them like, hey, like March 3 is going to be my final day. And they're totally cool with it. They have people coming in and out mm-hmm. constantly. I've been there six separate times. That's where I always go back, work <laughs> for six months, save up as much as I can, yeah. and then just leave again. So so they're not bothered by that pattern of, of in and out. I, you're sort of seasonal. You're seasonal labor, basically. Yes. And that's when they're always looking for the most people is around the holidays. So it's usually a pretty easy job to get. Mm-hmm. And then... Yeah, just leave in March or April and then just repeat. Yeah. And and do your, your summer hike and then and then come back. Yeah. When you got on the AT in two thousand thirteen, what was what was pushing you out to, to do a, f- a full through hike as opposed to just, you know, section hikes or, or even a lash at that point? So I'd grown up hiking with my grandpa. He section hiked the AT over a twelve year period. And so I actually hiked with him the last five or six years. And I was like eight to 10 years old. I had already done 500 miles of the AT. And I was actually with him when he finished. And I think that's when the idea of like doing the whole trail popped into my head. Where did he finish? He finished in middle of Pennsylvania. So in the spring, he would start in the south and work his way north. And then in the fall, he would go to the north end and work his way down. So he finished around the halfway point. And he was only hiking maybe one to two weeks at a time. And he was 82 years old when he finished finished the wow. trail. That's amazing. He, yeah. Just, I mean, he wasn't fast, but he would go slow and steady all day. And yeah, I think that's where the, the inspiration really came from. Well, he was probably the, the perfect speed for you at that age. Yes, definitely. And I was also probably running off the trail with all the energy I had. (laughs) (laughs) Climbing every rock, jumping in rivers, and yeah. It was play. It was play and also hard work. (laughs) Oh, yes. Any sort of hiking like that is always hard work, but it it sounds like you just, you had such a blast out there. Yeah. And it was more of a slack packing experience. So my dad would actually drive the car and meet us at roads. Nice. Just to make things easier. So didn't really have to carry anything, which made it much, much easier. Yes. As I, as I've come to understand it, that's, that's the best way to hike the AT. Yeah. There's plenty of roads to, if you have somebody that's going to destroy you, there's plenty of roads. You can almost do the entire trail without even carrying anything. Yeah. And then you and then you came back in 2013 and hiked 
the AT. Yeah, so that was right after graduating high school. Okay. Wow, you <laughs> you got bitten by, well, I guess we already know you got bitten by this bug pretty young. Yes, very young. <laughs> I actually decided to, I knew I wanted to do the trail that I my grandpa finished, but it was really freshman year of high school. That's when I decided, like, okay, I know I want to do this in, like, one trip. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know much about through hiking then. I mean, I knew people did it, but I really didn't know, like, all the logistics. And I studied up on that throughout high school. Was your grandfather around to see you complete the trail? He ended up passing away when I was... I went southbound on the AT. He passed away right when I got to the Massachusetts-Vermont border. Um, So he got to see... So I was daily blogging, and he would follow along. But yeah, he passed away at around mile 500 of that hike. I'm glad that he got to see you on the trail, obviously, carrying forward what he loved so much. Yes, and he he was always asking where I was. He would get up every day and read my posts, look at all the pictures. <laughs> and I don't know, it was just cool getting to put my experience out there for him to see, because I'm sure he remembered all the places. And and then I was actually in the same town where I started hiking with him when he passed away, Ooh. which that just happened via coincidence. You know what they say about coincidences. <laughs> When you finished the AT, did you know that you were going to go on and do more through hiking? I didn't. I actually applied for college right when I got home. And then I realized how much I was missing the trail. And I went into the common post-trail depression. Yeah. I got accepted into school and everything. And I just decided I'm I'm not doing that. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I had found something that I loved. So that's when I decided, okay, I'm going to hike the PCT. And you hike, the first time you hiked the PCT was in 2015. That is correct. Did you pretty much use the same gear that you had for the AT with a few additions, um, like an ice axe and so forth? <laughs> I actually swapped out most stuff. So what I started the AT with, a lot of it was already stuff I had. Okay. And throughout that hike, I was learning more about, like, lighter gear and just better ways to do things. Mm-hmm. But really, 2015 is where I started with, like, a whole set of brand new gear. So t- take all that hard-won knowledge and, and uh, put it to good yeah. use? Yeah, I think my base weight was, like, 18 pounds starting AT. Oh, wow. Okay. I look back at that now, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, why did I do that? <laughs> You you didn't know. No. And I thought that was right at the time. And oh, it still really? was compared to many people that on the AT have just huge backpacks. And even though 2013 doesn't sound like that long ago, evolution, like technology gear evolution wise, it was still quite a ways ago. Oh, yeah. It's improved a ton. Yeah. What What did you find out about yourself? that on the AT that you carried forward into the, the PCT hike um, in terms of like how you like to hike the style and 
what the hike was going to, was going to mean for you? I learned my body could handle way more than the mind thinks. I was, I almost quit the AT multiple times at the beginning. And it was just from like normal pain, like blisters and feet are sore, but I was able to just kind of teach myself like, you know, it's going to be painful, but you just got to push through it. Things will get better. And then, yeah, I gradually just got over that as the hike went on. And what about just the, like the being uncomfortable? I, I would assume that you were on the AT, you were using a lot of the, sh- the shelters and that kind of thing and, and potentially tent. And then going from that to, you know, the PCT, like last year where you were talking about basically cowboy camping, which is a completely yeah. different experience. Yeah, that was a hard transition because I've gotten, I use shelters for the most part on the AT. Mm-hmm. And then on the PCT, I was like, if it rains, I don't have somewhere dry I can just walk up to. <laughs> like I have to set up a shelter. And so that was a weird adjustment, but it wasn't too bad. It really doesn't rain that much on the PCT. So very except true. for this year, it rained a lot this year. <laughs> this year was very wild, but you weren't out there on the, you were on the CDT during 2017, which would have been the last uh, big snow year. That's correct. Yeah. How was, how was that? So my experience in 17 was pretty short-lived. I got on the trail mid-June, and my goal was to just finish the trail as a section hike that year. So I started in the Great Divide Basin in Wyoming mm-hmm. and did that fine. And then I flipped up to Glacier National Park, and I believe it was day two, I ended up hurting my knee. I had a IT band syndrome which I had had one other time before and was able to walk through it. And this time it just got worse and worse each day. And it ended up going or getting so bad. I had to go to the doctor in Montana and he told me it was really best to just stay off it for the summer and do lots of stretching. So I only finished about 200 miles in 2017. And how many miles did you, had you done in 2016? Uh, about 1,100 to 1,200. Okay. And what, what pushed you off the trail at that point? So I got off the trail for mental rate reasons in 2016. Physically, I was feeling stronger than ever. But it just got to the point where I wasn't enjoying it, which was really weird because I've never experienced that on any other hike. And I'm still, to this day, I'm not sure why I struggled so much that year. But looking back, I part of me wishes I had just toughed it out so I could could have finished but maybe it was for the best what was different for you about the CDT or that hike that year it was a much tougher trail than I think I expected I was so used to the AT and the PCT being so well marked and like being a nice trail and then you get to the CDT and it's just your route finding and there's less towns. There's like less people. I started with two other guys and we went the first, I don't know, maybe five weeks on trail. And there was really just one group of us that kind of stuck together. And other than that, we didn't see anybody else. It's lonely out there. Yeah. Socially, the CDT is very, very tough. And I just think I wasn't prepared for that. Maybe. Were you making the miles that you were expecting? Yeah, I was doing the same 
10 miles, 25 to 30 for the most part, right off the bat. I reached Colorado a little early and the San Juans in Southern Colorado were still in heavy snowpack. So I decided to take two weeks off actually. And the guys I started with wanted to keep going. And after those two weeks, I tried getting back on trail and just wasn't, wasn't feeling it and ended up getting off trail after another week. When you got back on trail, were you by yourself at that point or was there somebody else that, or other people that were with you? That's actually when I first started hiking with uh, Grizzly. That's oh. when I first met him. Yeah. Got and we flipped up to uh, Glacier. This was in 2016? Yes. Okay. Did you end up seeing Grizzly at all this season? We did. We met up in Side Valley. So then after I flipped back down to Ashland and started going south, and we were worried he was going to get to Ashland before me because... You know, Hammy does like 40, 50 miles a day. <laughs> yeah, so, he was inspired this year. <laughs> yeah, he was He was definitely crushing it. Yeah. But yeah, we spent. We both spent the night in Side Valley and got to catch up, which was nice. Does that happen very often? I mean, because the, hike, the through-hiking community is pretty small, and everybody seems, once you get out there, everybody seems to get out there again. Yeah, there was a lot of people I saw on trail this year that I had met on previous three hikes and it's always fun running back into people you haven't seen in two three years but you're doing the same thing yeah. so it's like it's almost like time doesn't even pass like you're you're seeing them in the exact like situation you saw them three years ago did you know that they were out there before you saw them or was it sort of on the trail and you're like oh my god you're you're <laughs> here too I had a little bit of both. Some people I knew were out there and then there was a few experiences where people would recognize me and say my name and I would like recognize their face, but couldn't like recall <laughs> where I met them. But yeah. And then they would tell me their name and it would pop right back in my head. Like, Oh yeah, I met you in 2015. It's so wild that again, like that you, you meet somebody that you last met in 2015 essentially doing the same trail now. And yeah, I think that's part of what's so wonderful about the through hiking community, even though it's spread over three trails and, and all of that, it is, a, it's a still a fairly small community and people are supporting each other, even across the trails. Yeah, that's very, very true. What is your talking about speaking your name? What is your trail name? My trail name is Crunchmaster. Was that something you got on the AT or is that something that's come out that came after that? I got it right at the beginning of the AT. Okay. So, so talk to me here. What's, what's the story? <laughs> so my son from high school, his dad worked for the company Crunchmaster. It's a gluten-free cracker company and it's a pretty small company, but he actually reached out to me and said, Hey, look, we want to get, our name brand out there more. And so like they offered to sponsor me and send me these crackers along the trail, pass them out, take pictures with them. And that was really it. But once I started handing those out to other hikers, that's just what people started calling me. And it stuck after the AT, he ended up switching companies. So that sponsorship ended up stopping, but I wanted to keep the name because that's 
I just don't like to switch names because I like once people know you by name, that's what sticks. So when you started the the PCT in 2015, did you introduce yourself as Trevor or did you introduce yourself right off the bat as as Crunchmaster? I still introduce myself as Crunchmaster. So essentially, you touched the monument and was like, okay, transformation's happening. I am now. Yeah. <laughs> How does Crunchmaster differ from, from Trevor? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm going deep. It's a hard question to answer. <laughs> I feel like Crunchmaster stresses a lot less than Trevor does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. It really does. I feel like a totally different person when I'm on trail and I really, it's hard to explain, but yeah, it's hard to explain. (laughs) Is it just that, sorry, I I guess I'm going to dig a little deeper here. So is it just that because you don't have the pressures of a job and you're only, you know, your, your schedule and your system and your responsibilities are, are very contained. Yeah, I think I mean, definitely being home, I'm stressing about, you know, what bills I have to pay and like being at work. And when I'm on trail, there, you know, it's stress-free. Mm-hmm. The only thing you're worrying about is where the next water is, where you're camping, and then most of the time, what your next meal is going to be. Does that kind of free you? How do I want to say this? Does that kind of free you up to be the best version of yourself? I believe it does. I think I'm more, way more social on trail. Interesting. I've always been more of a shy person, mm-hmm. especially like middle school through high school. But I've seen over the past few years is I'm much more comfortable talking to people. I'll go up and talk to people I don't even know. And I never would have done that before through hiking. And that's probably one of the hike. biggest things that's changed. Oh, yes. I was terrified of hitchhiking on the AT when I first started. Like, I actually had to work up the courage to go stand on the side of the road and stick my thumb out. Because I'd always been taught growing up that, like, oh, hitchhikers, you don't want to pick them up. They're, mm-hmm. They could be terrible people. <laughs> yeah, they could be dangerous. And I was by myself first time I did it. And, goodness, I can remember heart beating and just literally praying I didn't get a ride from some crazy person. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, it went well, um, like it normally does. And now today, it's probably one of the things I'm most comfortable with on trail. In fact, I actually enjoy the hitchhiking portion of the hiking because you meet so many nice people. How long did it take you to work up the nerve to stick your thumb out that first time? Oh, I would say probably an hour or two. Wow. Like I was, I was like, I would be like about to go out and do it. And then I would like say, oh, I'm going to go eat something before I leave town. And like, <laughs> I was just terrified. And I hadn't really built a trail family yet. Cause mm-hmm. this was up in, up in Maine. Okay. And eventually I just told myself like, look, you're not going to get to the trail <laughs> unless you do this. So, and then I just sucked it up and did it. I'm really glad I did. <laughs> How was that first ride? It was good. Um, I think it helps when the person picking you up talks a lot. Because if they don't, then it's just like an awkward car ride. Mm-hmm. But they were 
talking to me about like, what are you doing? Like, what made you want to do this? And it just made the whole situation feel a lot more comfortable. I've I've heard from any number of people that it's almost like when when you get picked up as a hitchhiker, part of the way that you're paying back the ride is to tell your story to entertain the the, the person who picked you up. Did you did you feel like yeah. that at all? No. Okay. Very much so. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's probably the most common thing like you talk about when the getting a ride is like what you know what's the craziest thing that's happened on trail like how many bears have you seen and just they want to hear about your experiences and adventures mm-hmm. and it's just a good way to pay back for them being willing to pick us up take us into town how long did it take before you were comfortable hitchhiking i would say probably towards the end of the Appalachian Trail. Um, it really took a while. It never got as bad as that first time, but still, each town, I would have that worry get back into my head. But by the end of the trail, it was like, didn't even think about it. I would just go out, stick my thumb out, and actually be excited about it. Like, who am I going to meet next? Wow. And then, back to my last hitchhike on the AT was somebody that followed my blog and they had no clue I was there. So like thumbs out, they pull over. I get in the car and they ask my name. And when I tell them, they like freak out. They're like, we've been following your blog since you left Maine. And at this point I had like maybe 50 miles of the trail left. And that was a really cool way to, to finish off the trail and just getting to meet somebody that had been following my journey. That is so random, but it's also so yeah. amazing. And then they even told me, like, as they were driving, they were like, I wonder if Crunchmaster, like, they knew I was in the general area, but mm-hmm. they hadn't, they had no idea I was going to be staying there, hitching right. a ride into town. And yet, maybe because of the fact that they'd been following your blog all the way along, they were more open to picking up a hitchhiker, and it happened mm-hmm. to be you. Yeah. Yeah. I never did ask them if they had picked up hikers before. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming they did. I feel like most people that stop and give hikers rides have either done it before or they've hitchhiked before and they know what, what we're going through. You typically don't get like tourists picking up hikers for rides. It just doesn't seem to happen very often. The, there is that fear that I think it's the the urban legend fear of, of dangerous people. Mm-hmm, yeah. Most of the people in towns near the trail know, know about through hiking and they know that we're not a bunch of crazy people. <laughs> or just crazy in a different way. We are crazy people, but <laughs> you are correct. Crazy in a different way. You have to be pretty crazy to want to walk across the country. Having met one of your own personal fans, essentially, (laughs) how did that, or did that even impact how you put out things? Because you put out videos documenting your, your hikes and you're obviously on Instagram and, and putting out that type of thing. Because now you know, there's somebody there who's literally watching and listening and, and, and reading your stuff. Yeah. This year was a, 
just totally different experience because this is the first year I actually utilized YouTube to document my journey. I'd always done written blog posts. And so I wasn't expecting much to be different. But as I kept going this year and the YouTube channel kept building, it got to the point where I was almost meeting somebody that watched my videos every single day. Oh, wow. And it was like really cool because like I would get to see how appreciative people were getting to watch the videos and learn more about the trail. But then you get people that are like, Oh my goodness, Crunchmaster, like, can I get a picture with you? Like <laughs> you're a celebrity. Stuff I had never experienced before. <laughs> but it was really cool to see how excited people got. And it really I think lifted my spirits. I would be having a bad day and then you meet somebody that doesn't even know you but they you know, they've been watching on YouTube this whole time. They felt like they knew me. Yeah. They've they've been on your journey with you. Yes, very much so. <laughs> Were were the people that you were meeting, were they fellow hikers or were they random people, you know, on, on a trail or in towns or like? It was a little bit of both. Um, okay. Sometimes it would be another hiker through hiking, uh, the PCT. I had several JMT hikers recognize me. And then even a couple of times I'm walking down the road in town and somebody pulls over, like yells my name. <laughs> And see, I was a variety of different people. That is so random. Yeah, it was definitely a totally new experience for me. (laughs) Did it change at all? Like, as you started to meet people, did it change at all how you put your content out there? I think it did a little bit. I was more, I think, like, talkative in the videos. Like, Mm -hmm. it, it felt like more of a conversation with the people following me. Mm-hmm. early on I was like almost scared to talk on video I didn't like being on video but as I was starting to meet the people who enjoyed the videos it was more like a one-on-one connection it felt like you were talking to them yeah I felt more like I was talking to people that I knew and I think that really helped what made you decide to to do the video thing this year on on YouTube I just I knew I wanted to do a daily blog like I'd always done but really the only, I just wanted to do something different because before I'd always just been writing and I'm really not a writer. <laughs> like I was pretty much forced myself to do it and not enjoy it. Okay. But I thought it'd be cool to do a visual blog and it ended up working out way better than I ever expected. What were you recording on? Uh, just my iPhone 7 Plus. And just editing it in camp at night or when you got into town or yeah so i would edit each night in camp for that day so i posted a video for every day on the whole hike and so i would spend about maybe 30 to 45 minutes every night before going to sleep kind of editing my pictures and then finishing the video and then i would upload them once in town but it was a lot of work it was definitely you know there's nights where you get to camp and you're just you're dead tired. Like you don't want to do anything, mm-hmm. but I would force myself because I knew if I fell behind, it probably wouldn't happen. Probably correct. Yeah. And, and you knew that there were people out there who were literally following. Yeah. You, you start to realize like, Oh my gosh, people are expecting these videos to come out. 
Mm-hmm. Like there'd be times where I wouldn't have service for a week and I get into town and there's people like freaking out. Like, are you okay? You haven't posted anything. So it definitely becomes like a job. I mean, it's once you get that many people expecting an update. How did that change your experience of the trail? Um, so kind of like you said, it made me feel more like a celebrity kind of, mm-hmm. I mean, cause my name was just getting put out there everywhere and I had never experienced that. So I guess I just, it just felt like more people, I had like a bigger trail fan is what it felt like, even if I didn't mm. know them. Yeah. Cause I had always been more of a private person. I always kept the daily band, but not too many people followed that. It was mostly just friends and family. So this was really the first time I, you know, I had complete strangers calling my trip. Did that help with your shyness? Very much so. I mean, day one, I struggled to even talk on camera with the camera facing me. Mm-hmm. And I knew it was something I wanted to do, though. So I just forced myself to do it. And as the days kept going, I just got more and more comfortable. Speaking of your videos, there was one specifically one uh, about on uh, Baden-Powell, the the search and rescue thing that you guys were involved with? Yes. What was that, or how, how did that go down for you guys? So we, this is actually the same, I had hiked with this friend from, I met him in 2015 on the PCT and hiked much of the trail with him. And then it was the same friend that I started with last year in early March. Okay. So he was coming out and joining me for about 10 days. And we had just left Wrightwood and we're planning to camp right there at the, I believe it's Vincent Gap parking lot, right below Baden-Powell. And we had just had dinner, took sleeping pills <laughs> just so we could sleep soundly because it was really windy. We're literally crawling in our tent and I hear like a faint hello. Like I could tell somebody was yelling it, yelling it, mm-hmm. but I knew it was far away. And I thought, you know, maybe it's just, I'm hearing things. So then I'm actually in the tent and I hear it again and again. And then I realize something's probably not right. So my friend and I go up to the parking lot just to kind of investigate, see what's going on. And it's almost dark by this time. It's like eight o'clock and there's just one car left in the parking lot. We tried yelling back, but the wind was just too strong. He, there's no way he could hear us. And so eventually this is all within like 15 minutes. Eventually we can hear the word help. So that's when we realize, okay, something isn't right. That's completely dark now. It's already below freezing. It's probably one of the coldest nights on the trail, to be honest. And we, uh, so my friend tries getting through to 911. No luck. There's no service. And we keep hearing the word help. So that's when we decide, okay, we got to take matters into our own hands and at least go up there, try to get service. So we grab our micro spikes and all our extra warm gear because we don't know what we're going to find. Yeah. And so we make it about maybe three quarters of a mile up. Before getting there, my friend was able to reach 911. I continued alone 
yelling back and forth. And I was able to finally locate the guy. And he had slipped on some snow and ice and used his leg on a tree to stop himself. Hmm. And it just snapped his ankle. And the bone was sticking out of his leg and he was bleeding. And here I am, like, never been in this situation in my life. You know, this is something like you dream about. Yeah. You never think you're actually going to be in this situation. So I start yelling back to my friend who's down the mountain, like, kind of explaining what's, you know, what's wrong. And after 20 minutes, maybe, we hear a chopper coming in. And they drop a guy down, like, right where I am and lift the guy out. And it's just a wild experience. Like, it it almost makes me speechless thinking about it. Yeah, that on one level, you don't ever think it's going to happen. But yeah. when you're out there like that, it, it is such a fine line. And so he ended up giving us his car key and was, like, telling, trying to tell us where to leave it. And we're still in <laughs> complete shock. <laughs> like, we were trying to explain, like, you know, we're hiking the whole trail. Like, we don't have cars. We don't drive anywhere. Mm-hmm. But we end up finding out from the uh, paramedic that was on the helicopter which hospital they were taking him to. So we ended up driving his car, like, an hour and a half away to Palmdale, Wow. Okay. Actually, to the hospital where they took him, and we actually visited with him that same night um, at the hospital. And this is like it's one in the morning by now, and we ended up getting a hotel there, and then went back into the hospital the following day, and actually spoke with the doctor, and he informed us that the guy probably wouldn't have survived had we not been there that night, just due to loss of blood and the temperatures being so low and he didn't have the proper gear to spend the night because this was just a day hiker. He wasn't, wasn't a backpacker. Yeah. And I'm sure shock wasn't going to do him any favors either. No. So then we were, we were able to get a, a ride back to Wrightwood that, that next day. And we ended up zeroing like three days. And I was like, exhausted nonstop and I'm my best guess is the adrenaline mm-hmm. that were going was going through our bodies because for the next like week and a half I was struggling to sleep I'd be up until one in the morning every night and just could not sleep at all but eventually I I just got through that and was able to continue our normal sleep schedule how was your I mean obviously the lack of sleep is going to change your energy level, but, but how was your energy level? Otherwise you just kind of feeling exhausted is probably a pretty poor word for it, but. Well, it's correct. I was just able to fight through it. I guess I was still able to do pretty much my normal miles. It was just a little tougher and that's what made it hard. I was still doing 20, 25 miles a day, but I'd get to camp and then just not be able to sleep. And I think it was just the combination of the adrenaline and kind of still in complete shock of like, wow, we just really saved that guy's life. Yeah. And that just was sinking in. What was your, like when you're up until one o'clock in the morning, like what was your brain spinning on? Oh. 
just, I honestly don't know what kept me like aware that night. Uh-huh. <laughs> cause we had, I, as I mentioned before, we had taken the sleeping pills cause we wanted yeah. to sleep soundly that night. So really my mind was just a blur. I mean, I still remember everything very vividly, but yeah, my, I was completely out. Like when we got to the hotel room, I just completely passed out mm-hmm. and we didn't, I don't think we fell asleep until like three in the morning. Yeah. And the, and what about in the, the nights after that, like until you got back on your sleep schedule and stuff, I mean, you're, your friends with you, but he's probably going to sleep at sleep at hiker midnight but you're still staring at the ceiling. He was actually struggling with it as well. Um, Interesting. I'm not sure if he was up as late as I was each night, but really both of us were just exhausted. Like, and it didn't matter if we zeroed or hiked all day. We felt exhausted, but then like sleep just did not come easy. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because, you know, once you lay down, your mind's running while you're hiking we were more occupied with, you know, like, where am I going to step so I don't trip? And But then when you stop, all those memories, like, they come right back into your head. And it took a while to process all that. Did you guys talk about it at all? Oh, yeah. we Pretty much every day until he ended up leaving. And then, of course, you know, people, the news spread about this whole situation. Mm-hmm. But we were talking about it for the next couple weeks. And what conclusions is a poor word for it, but, but what did you finally come to? I was just thankful that we were there. I mean, when the, that doctor said, like, you know, he wouldn't have made it, that, like, that hits really hard. That, mm-hmm. And we were the only people camped up there. So I'm just thankful we could be in the right place at the right time and help him out. Yeah. Very, he was very, very lucky. Yeah. Now, speaking of that night, you were saying it was probably one of the coldest or the coldest that while you were on trail. Like what was how were you prepared for that kind of cold? Like what what were you what were you carrying? What was your what was your tent and and that kind of stuff? So for my shelter I had a Nemo Hornet one person tent. Okay. And I hadn't ditched all my gear yet. <laughs> I had, <laughs> Thank like, God. Base, I had base layers to sleep in and a North Face Blue Kazoo 15 degree sleeping bag. And I had the Neo Air Thermarest Neo Air. Mm-hmm. So I was prepared for really anything well below freezing between 10, 15 degrees. I could sleep comfortably. Okay. So the, what was your sleeping bag again? Uh, my sleeping bag was the North Face. Blue Kazoo, fifteen degree. Okay, so, so and that's that an one, older model. Okay, because I had actually bought that in twenty fifteen. Okay, so it's been around the block a few times. Yeah, it had been through twenty fifteen, all the way through up to that point. So it had been through like over two through hikes. How has your, particularly like on the PCT, which okay, let's be honest, I'm the most interested in, but, <laughs> um. <laughs> On the PCT, how has your kit changed? It's I've gotten a lot less stuff now. I used to carry like unnecessary first aid kit supplies and 
too many extra pair of socks and just, you know, it doesn't seem like a lot, but it does add up. Mm-hmm. And really hiking with smiles this year, I think is what kind of made me want to try this ultralight setup because she hikes with a plante pack. So like no, no hip belt. She doesn't sleep on a sleeping pad. And when I first saw that, I'm like, this is crazy. Like, how do you sleep at night? <laughs> uh-huh. But eventually I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it because I want to carry a lighter pack and find up sending my sleeping pad home. I sent my tent home. I actually ended up getting a, a Thermarest V light and one of the foam pads. Yeah. And I, I cut out a section just big enough for my hip. And then that's <laughs> what I slept on for the like okay. last 1200 miles of trail. Wow. You were serious about this. And that was, and that was cowboy camping every night as well. Okay. How were the bugs? And how did you get through the mosquitoes like that? <laughs> That's a very good question. <laughs> Thankfully, the bugs minds. Did not. Yeah, the bugs never got too bad. I feel like we were flipping kind of at the right times because Oregon was completely covered in snow when we did it. And as you probably know, that's usually what Oregon is famous for is how, how bad the mosquitoes can get. Yep. And for us, it was, you know, there's still 10 feet of snow on the ground. Uh-huh. So we didn't deal with any mosquitoes really until Washington. And it was a short, it was short lived because by the time we got back down to Northern California, it was already August. So, you know, they were still out, but it wasn't that, that worst part right when the snow melts. Right. When the hordes are released. Yeah, definitely. So I would just get in the sleeping bag as fast as I can, put a headnet on, put like a buff over my ears because I hate hearing mosquitoes <laughs> trying to get in my ears. <laughs> it drives me crazy. And it was tough the first few nights. I mean, I was like, oh my goodness, I wish I had a pet. But then, you know, you just adjust. I was able to adjust to not having a sleeping pad and still get a good night's sleep. Okay, that honestly, that both of those things just boggle my mind. <laughs> Probably a lot of people's <laughs> minds. <laughs> but but again, I guess uh, from my perspective, like I haven't been out there and felt that feeling of exhaustion when you get to the end of the night and the appreciation that every every ounce, every pound makes a difference in how your hike goes. Very much, yeah. Like so I was. I was a little more uncomfortable, but I noticed a big difference while I was actually walking, like not having, you know, 30, 40 pounds on my back. Mm-hmm. It was taking pressure off my shoulders, my feet. I mean, I could feel a difference really throughout my whole body. What What was your pack out there? Uh, I had the Osprey Exos 58. Okay. Which is a pretty large pack. And I've had that since 2016. Uh, I could have had a much smaller pack. I just didn't really want to put the money out for a new one yet. Will that sort of be the next purchase is to go down to one of the, the ultralight packs? Yes. I'm not sure which one yet. Could be a Plante pack, maybe a hyperlight. 
I, I want to go with something frameless for sure. Why frameless at this point? I mean, beside the aside from the weight issue, mainly it's the weight. I just want to okay. go with a pack that cuts as much weight as possible. Um, it's I don't have anything against frameless or packs with mm-hmm. a frame. They're just going to be heavier. Yeah, they're heavier. Really, the Osprey Exos is probably one of the lightest packs you can get that has a frame. I think it's mm-hmm. just under two and a half pounds, I believe. But, you know, some of these ultralight packs, like I know Plante packs, they weigh like just over a pound, I think. Yeah. Don't like a quote me on that, but <laughs> they're much lighter than a than a pack with a frame. No, absolutely. I mean, and it, it is weight. Whenever you're trying to cut weight, I mean, you're, you're cutting anything you possibly can. Did you do go to the extent of um, like cutting off extra straps and not, I don't know if the Exos has a brain on it or not. It does come with a brain and I did remove that. I didn't get to the point of cutting straps, <laughs> but I do know people that do that. And I do yeah. cut, like I cut my toothbrush in half and... You know, really, that's probably the most extreme thing, thing that I do. You know, other than the... And the sleeping pad. <laughs> I was going to say, other than the sleeping pad that's only for your hip. Or hip yeah, hip. the lack of sleeping pad is the better way to put it. Do you sleep generally on your back, side, stomach? Uh, I move around. Okay. Which I wish I didn't because, like, you know, you get up in the middle of the night, you're like, oh, I need to turn around. and But it ended up working well for me. Um I say I think I sleep on my side more than anything else, and the v- it was enough to, or it was comfortable enough where I was still able to get good night's sleep. Right, but at this point, you're going all mountain man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I was choosing campsites a little ter- more carefully at this point. How did that work up in the up in the Alpine, where it's a lot of rock and that kind of thing? <laughs> Normally, or usually I'd be able to find a nice, like, dirt spot. There were a couple nights where I was, like, half on a rock, and it was not good. Like, I'd still sleep, but you wake up, and you're like, oh, I was, there's a rock, like, right under my leg all night. Mm. (laughs) But it's really just, your body adjusts, because I struggled with it the first, like, week or so, and almost got my sleeping bag, or sleeping pad and tent all that sent back out that I just told myself, I'm going to try it a little bit longer. And it got to the point where it was just, you know, second nature and I was comfortable with it. How long do you think that was between you or, or maybe I should say, how many days did you give yourself when you had that, that little self-talk? Okay. I'm just going to give it a little bit more time. We'll see if, you know, if this is doable. I want to say like a week, but in the moment, it was probably like a couple minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it just felt like a week. I was getting sick of like bugs and, and you know, not even mosquitoes. Like I'd have things crawling on my face in the middle of the night. And yes. I don't honestly know how I did it. <laughs> I just, just puffed it out and eventually, you know, you just get used to it you see a bug crawling on you and you're just like, Oh, that's, you know, that's completely normal. (laughs) So essentially on the next hike, you will probably do the same thing. Conditions 
allowing? Yeah, so um, my plan as of now is to do the CDT next year and just start over Okay. and do the whole thing. And I don't think I would do the same setup on the CDT. Um, there's a lot more storms, and I feel like the weather's a little bit more unpredictable on that trail. So I could see myself maybe going without a sleeping pad still, but I would definitely want a shelter because really it can snow on you any month of the year in the Rockies and you're up on high ridges so much that it could potentially get pretty dangerous if you don't have like a proper shelter. Yeah. I've, I've kind of seen that with people's videos. It's, it's very wild out there. Yeah. I was getting snowed in in like July when I was out there in 2016, which was just (laughs) completely crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Did you ever stand there as you're getting snowed on being like, come on, this is July. Oh, yeah. Many times. Looking up at the sky, yelling as loud as you can. Just, you know, anything to try to make the situation better. But in the end, you just have to, you know, it's just part of the experience, part of the adventure. What was your hardest time on trail? Uh, For this year or for just all my hikes? Any of them? Any of them. Hmm. This year, I would have to say Oregon, just because we were the first people to really go through. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's not much information out there about Oregon when it's buried in snow. <laughs> so we were kind of jumping into the unknown and didn't have microspikes. We did, sitting at home, but we didn't right. have them with us. <laughs> because you didn't expect to have the snow or... Well, we knew there was snow. We just didn't, because Oregon's really thought of as a flat, pretty flat state. So we were like, you know, it's mostly woods hiking. We don't really need spikes. But then when you actually see it covered in snow, you're like, okay, there's actually stuff. It's pretty steep traverses. And there were moments where I was maybe not scared for my life, but scared like that I could really injured myself pretty bad. And that was around the Mount Jefferson area. Okay. I mean, there was places, the traverse was like too steep. It was almost 90 degrees, like a 90 degree angle. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's nowhere to go. It's snow above you, it's snow below you. You just had to do it? Uh, that one spot that I'm specifically talking about, I actually backtracked just a little bit. And then there was a spot where I was able to drop down to where it was less steep and then cross. Okay. But in the process of doing that, there was one spot I slipped on some pine needles and almost went sliding off a cliff. Ah. Hit, and I was able to stop myself just in time. And I was not smart and was doing that alone. Smiles was maybe a half mile behind me. And so I ended up waiting there for her to show up and she ended up slipping in the exact same spot. <laughs> so it was just. There was some dangerous stuff for sure, and it definitely takes a lot out of you mentally when you're like, you have to focus on every step. And normally in Oregon, you know, you don't really have to focus on where you're stepping. It's nice, easy state. You know, people are doing 35 miles a day, and I just had the complete opposite experience this year. I I could see, because we were talking about you know, Baden-Powell, where you had that, that adrenaline endorphin flood your system. And I could see 
when you guys, when you slipped and when smiles slipped, having that same sort of experience. Yeah, it definitely got the adrenaline going. Um, <laughs> it didn't really affect my sleep mm, um, okay. much. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's just because of the, how dramatic the other experience was. And longer term too, because you guys were doing it for a while. Yeah, the, that search and rescue, that whole situation was, you know, five or six hours of just constant, like, adrenaline pumping. Mm-hmm. In Oregon, it never really, you know, there was those dangerous spots, but it wasn't ever long-lived. Okay. It'd be maybe a quarter to a half-mile section. And then there would still be snow, but it would be flat through the trees. And, you know, the only thing you had to worry about was really post-holing. How was that this year? I did it plenty of times. <laughs> <laughs> um it wasn't as bad as I expected, though, with the amount of snow there was. Many of the areas that had a lot of snow, we were there early enough where the heat really hadn't arrived yet. So the snow was still pretty firm. Okay. And really the only places I post hole was when I stepped, like, near a log that was hidden. But if you were out in the open, it was mostly firm. It was more just flipping and falling. Kissing the snow? Oh, yeah. Many, many times. (laughs) (laughs) What was your experience with what I should say? What has your experience with animals been like on the trails? So this year, I don't know where all the animals were because I didn't see very many. I only saw three bears this whole hike. And I've always seen like six or seven. And none of them are really exciting experiences, I guess you could say. Mm hmm. Which exciting to me is like, you know, <laughs> none of them got my drone, the ones. <laughs> right. Um, it was like, oh, there's a bear. And, like, it sees me and it doesn't care. So, just didn't even worry about it. Uh, Smiles, on the other hand, you may have seen the video. She saw a mountain lion. And that was up around Castle Crags State Park near Mount Shasta. I did not see that video, but how was that? It's a scary video. <laughs> so she's just hiking along and like filming this part where you cross a bridge. And then, you know, she can see something coming across the bridge and it's obviously not a hiker. And then it pops its head out and like she's maybe 30, 40 feet away. And she yelled at it and it, you know, it took off, which is kind of surprising because you always hear about mountain lions kind of stalking you and not being very afraid. And I never service at that point, and she texted me. I was maybe 10 minutes behind. And then the funny thing is, is I get the message of right when I'm on that bridge. And she's like, have you crossed the bridge yet? Like, there was a mountain line, like, right on the trail there. And I'm like, oh, nice. Like, right where I'm standing. <laughs> but I did not see it, and I was a little upset because I have always wanted to see one in the wild and have not yet. It's a glass half full, glass half empty kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's probably really scary, but it's also something that I would have liked to have been able to see with my own eyes. Yeah. How does that compare against, particularly like the bear experiences on the PCT this year, compared to the first time you saw bears on trail, which I'm assuming probably were was on the AT? Yes, that's correct. I was definitely more scared the first time I saw bears on the AT. Um, but I got over that fear extremely quick. 
I mean, I learned that they're not out there to hurt you unless you're, you know, bothering them. Mm-hmm. At one point on the AT, I saw 14 in one day, and that was in Shenandoah National Park. And so that day, I was like, okay, when's the next bear going to be? <laughs> like, it just didn't even bother me. And I've never had a bad experience. You know, I've had them stare at me and not really care, but I've never been really approached by one. The one, there's one situation that was in Glacier. Actually, my first night ever camping in uh, Grizzly Bear Country. Yeah. And Grizzly might have told you this story already. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember, but we were camped there first night and these other campers that were there walk over and they're like, oh, there's a bear over by the tents. And we're like, okay, like, you know, what kind is it? Is it black or grizzly? And they're like, we don't, we don't know. And so like, we all go over there in a group of like 10 people. And it ends up being a a grizzly, you know, not a huge bear, but definitely one of the biggest bears I've seen in the wild. And yeah, he was just wandering around camp, getting like, being bothered by people and everybody has their bear spray like aimed at it and I'm like nobody's taking pictures like what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> so I'm standing like off to the side taking pictures of there and everybody else has got their bear spray out and it eventually backs us down so they have like a cooking area separate from where you camp mm-hmm. and so it walked in towards the cooking area and that's when Grizzly started like kicking the bear boxes to make a bunch of noise and it ended up running off. And that's partially how he got his name. At least I believe because he's just, he's lived with grizzlies a lot because he used to work up in Alaska. So he was able to scare it off and we all went to sleep. And as far as we know, it didn't come back. (laughs) Ignorance is bliss in that way. Yeah. (laughs) It was probably right outside my tent that night. Who knows? <laughs> as long as I didn't know, I was okay. You were almost a Scooby snack. Yeah. What about rattlesnakes? I saw one of your your videos was the rattlesnake, and he was literally coiled right, essentially right on the trail. Could have been one of my videos from last year. Possibly. Yeah, it was in 2018. Yeah. Last year, I saw way more than I did this year. And... I'm not sure why that is because I started earlier last year, but um, yeah, I've, I've had a couple close calls. Never been stuck at, but you know, you'll be hiking along and you see it last second, and you're able to stop. How because I've had them not usually... even. What were you? Th- what was your? I question? think you were literally answering exactly what I was going to ask. Okay. <laughs> how much warning are they giving you? Not much. Like I always expect them to rattle when you're you know, 15, 20 feet away, which they have before. But I've had cases where, you know, you get within three feet of them and they still haven't rattled. And that's pretty scary because, you know, they blend in. Yeah. Like they're so hard to see, especially when they're hiding under a bush. And I'm glad I don't think about it as much when I'm hiking. Because <laughs> like thinking about it right now, I'm like, how have I not been bit yet? <laughs> Are they, like they're not rattling, but they're coiled under the bush and... Oh, yeah. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, no close calls. Not too close, anyway. I haven't been struck out. Right. Close is a relative thing. Yeah. We actually had one this year 
in uh, Northern California. And uh, so we were hiking south and the northbound passed us and was like, so you're going to come to this water source. I think it was the next day. Yeah, they were like, tomorrow you're going to get to this water source. And I got like struck at while I was there yesterday. And we're like, you know, okay, it probably won't be there. And still 20 miles ahead. So, but when I got to that water source, I was like extra careful. (laughs) Like, okay, where is it? And it was still in the exact same spot. And right where you'd reach down to fill up your water bottle, it was right under the bush. And so they, they had tried to fill up their water bottle and it struck right at their face. And they were able to jump back quick enough. And so that was, it, I knew it was there, so it wasn't scary. Like I was, I knew where to look, but, you but I can't water. imagine. Yeah, definitely. So the whole rest of that day, every single northbounder I was passing, I was like, oh, right where the snake is, and probably don't attempt to get water there. So is that essentially what you did? Was just bypass that water source and and look for the next one? Yeah, there was quite a bit of water in that section, so it wasn't. And you probably could have gone downstream a little bit. And still gotten water there. But like the ideal place to fill up was right where he was sitting. He was hunting. Oh, yeah. One of the things that I was noticing and that you kind of talked about on your videos from this year was wearing the compression sleeves. Yeah. Um, and you were you were mentioning shin splints and stuff? Yeah, shin splints is something I dealt with in 2015. So, and it was actually on the downhill, um, just after Idlewild on San, San Jacinto. And it's like 20 miles downhill, like 8,000 feet drop. And so for like the next three or four days after that, I was experiencing tons of pain in the front of my legs. And I didn't know about shin splints at that time. So after doing some research and I learned that these compression sleeves are supposed to kind of just hold everything together better. Yeah. And so I made the switch to compression sleeves in the desert in 2015. And I have never gone without them since. And I've never had shin splints since. So you had shin splints in 2015? 2015. Yeah, correct. Okay. Got it. So the first time on the PCT basically. Yeah. Okay. And I don't know if it's more of a mental thing or if they actually are, you know, helping, but whatever it is, I haven't had it happen again. What other type of injuries have you had on the trails? Uh, IT band syndrome. That's what took me off the CDT. And I also experienced that in 2015 up in Washington, uh, leaving Stevens Pass. So about 200 miles before the northern terminus and it got to the point where i almost turned around that year after leaving stevens pass because the pain got so bad but i knew i was only you know i was less than 200 from finishing and i was extremely determined <laughs> like i already had flights <laughs> booked and my dad was meeting me at the monument like i already had a schedule and i had a lot of ibuprofen and i just said i'm gonna go for it and that's probably the worst pain I've been in on any hike. I mean, it was excruciating. Like downhills, it brought me to tears several times. 
and I was able to just fight through it and took probably an unhealthy amount of pain medicine, but it, it got me to the end. <laughs> and that 200 miles would have been what, about two weeks? Yeah, I think it was roughly maybe a little less. Okay. 10 days, maybe. Yeah. Right, it was not a, point, you're doing not a pleasant class. experience. It doesn't sound like it, but, but you had a, you had the goal and it was so close. Yeah. And I'm glad I pushed through it. I mean, it, it can be a serious injury. Like, I know it can require surgery if you, you know, push it too hard, which I didn't know that at the time. Cause at the time I had no clue what it was. Like mm-hmm. I knew it was knee pain and there were people telling me I probably tore something. And I'm like, you know, I didn't know what to believe. It's it's among the many uh, it's among the many overuse injuries. Yeah, overuse and lack of stretching, which I'm not very good at doing. Have you changed that at all since then? So I didn't, and then you know that same problem hit me or took me off to CDT mm-hmm. two years later. And after that, I did start stretching more. It's still not, you know, it's not what I should be doing. For the amount of hiking I do. But at least you're doing something. I'm doing, yes, I'm doing more. Just probably not the recommended amount. <laughs> we never do the recommended amount. That just doesn't happen. You just don't see hikers stretch much, even though no. it's something extremely important. It's just, you know, people get to camp, you eat, you go to sleep, and then you wake up, you eat, you start walking. Yeah. Well, even, I mean, even in home life, when people talk about stretching or doing certain exercises to help strengthen the smaller tendons and ligaments and muscles and and that kind of stuff, we all kind of go, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Such a good idea. Mm -hmm. And then then how about we actually do it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. We have the best of intentions. When that started, like I knew right away in 2017, because it doesn't like happen all of a sudden kind of gradually the pain builds mm-hmm. and I knew right away what it was and was kicking myself because I hadn't been stretching and you know that ended up taking me off trail for basically the whole summer yeah that was that was a big wake-up call Trevor <laughs> very big yeah that injury in 2017 put a bunch of like paranoia in my head okay because the last two years on the on the PCT, I I would like start stressing really bad before the hike. Like I'd be worried, like oh my goodness, what are you doing? So it's almost like it scarred me, kind of. Yeah. Like I would feel like a little, just a tiny bit of knee pain, and I would just freak out. And this is before even walking. Like I would do something at home that would make my knee sore, like a week before leaving, and then I would just freak out and be like, what if I can't finish? Or I guess in that case, what what if you can't start? Yeah, exactly. And I've always, once I'm at the start of the trail, that thought completely goes away. It's just me thinking too much before before starting. Yeah. Do you still have the nerves before you start each new trail or each time on the trail? I would say yes, but not as much. Right. Yeah. Did you see a lot of trail magic this year since you were doing such interesting flip-flopping around? 
Not too much. I would say most of it actually happened towards the end. I guess because people were expecting like the, you know, the first sobos to be going through. Mm-hmm. But I was pretty early in March, so I didn't experience too much trail magic. And that's, I experienced trail magic, but not like people set up with stuff. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of trail magic from people that followed me on YouTube. Like I would get messages from people offering to like come meet me and bring me food or get me a ride into town. So that was happening quite a bit, but there wasn't like too many like surprise trail magics. Right. Where you come around a corner and suddenly. Yeah. What's been your most memorable experience with trail magic on any of the trails? Hmm. They're all very memorable in different ways. I would say probably this year around us was just south. Was it just south? I'm already getting places mixed up. <laughs> I believe it was just south of Lake Tahoe, around Sonora Pass. And yeah. we had heard about, it was actually Rizzo was telling me because he got trail magic from these same people um, in the same spot when he was going through north. So I had known their names. And I believe they're, they name it uh, limit limit situation trail magic. Hmm. So like they're they're kind of official. And then I had heard they were going to be at this road, and I was like, right, I was going to be going through that spot that day. So it wasn't a surprise. But when I got there, I just couldn't believe the amount of effort that they were putting to like help us hikers. I mean, they had everything imaginable. You could charge your stuff. They had ginormous hiker boxes, like more food than you can ever imagine. They were helping with gear repairs. They had batteries for my headlamp that was dead. And it just blew my mind, like how much they had and like what they were doing to help us out. That is pretty amazing. I mean, that's above and beyond. It's, yeah. I mean, it's hard to even put into words. Yeah. And so I had heard from earlier that they were actually, like, giving away gear. Like, they had extra packs, and they were, like, giving people new packs People to people that were, like, struggling with the ones they had. Mm -hmm. They had, like, personal... You could, like, order a pizza, and they would make it. And (laughs) you're just out here in the middle of the woods. And they had, like, a coffee press. Like it just—it was like being in a kitchen, but you're out here in the middle of the woods. I mean, they Were had they everything. Hikers, or had somebody in their family hiked, or? As far as I know, I don't think so. Okay. But they've been doing this for several years. Interesting. Well, I hope they're out there next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're you're planning for next year, correct? Yeah. Nice. Who knows? I could be back out again. I have no idea. I kind of just yeah. go with the flow. You just actually love the PCT. Do, I was supposed to do the AT the last two years. And at some point in the winter, like somebody will message me and be like, I'm going to be on the PCT. Do you want to do it? And I've switched my plans both times. So I love how flexible you are. You just kind of, yeah. Yeah. I don't, sure. I don't make plans anymore. Like, I kind of have a plan of the CDT, but 
who knows things could change over the winter it it doesn't it doesn't sound like getting your triple crown done is is that big of a a push for you no and that's something that's changed i that used to be like the only thing i wanted like and that was after the pct the first time mm-hmm. i just knew like okay i want the triple crown now and it, that slowly changed like after that injury in 2017 i just like i still want the triple crown but it's not like it has to be right now you have time you are way young <laughs> oh yeah I, i'm not worried about how long it takes me or yeah you know the important thing to me is just being out on trail and it doesn't even matter what trail i was gonna say do you have any interest in doing like the camino or the terrora terrora or any of the other trails internationally the ta is definitely on my list uh okay I was actually thinking about that next year for a while. And then I was like, I might put it off a little longer because I want to save up more money uh, for an international hike. Yeah. And the commuter doesn't appeal to me too much. I know people have done it and I've really enjoyed it, but it's hard to call out a hike. I feel like it's more of a walk. Okay. Because you can do it without carrying any gear pretty much. Right basically hiking town to town, squatted on roads, sidewalks. So while I was like, I'm sure it's still a good experience, I feel like I lean towards more of the wild adventure. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a different type of experience. Yeah. I could see myself doing that, you know, maybe down the road where I'm retired or just at a point where I don't need the the difficulty challenges. <laughs> Right. Yeah. The Camino has always struck me as a little, not that, that all of the trails aren't spiritual in some respect, but I, I always feel like the Camino is particularly about the spiritual, spiritual journey. Yeah. That's what I've always, always heard. Yeah. How has your food, how has what you've, been eating or what you eat out there changed between when you did the AT the first time versus this past year? Really just more quantity. I haven't really changed diet much throughout the three hikes. Um, but I have seen that I'm starting to eat more and more. And I think part of that's probably because I'm out there every year. I feel like my metabolism doesn't ever really get the chance to slow down. Even while I'm home all winter, it's I'm not eating like as much as I do on food, but I'm eating like every two to three hours. So basically you spend six months using all your energy sources stores and then you spend six months trying to recuperate it or rebuild it. Yeah. And, you just, <laughs> and then I just go through it all again. <laughs> so, so what do you eat out there? What is, what is your, what is your diet like? Uh, the last two years I've gone stoveless. So that's one of the big things that's, change from the AT. So I have to get a little more creative for my dinners. And typically it's tortilla, cheese, tortillas, cheese, and some kind of like sausage, beef jerky. I'll usually carry like 
Taco Bell hot sauce packets, peanut butter, and that's usually the main dinner. A lot of potato chips, nothing healthy. Do you cold soak? As you can hear. <laughs> Do I what? Do you cold soak? I did a little bit last year. I would cold soak ramen. This year, I was able to do the whole trail without any cold soaking. I'm assuming that you that you snack on bars and stuff like that during the day. Is that? Yeah, Cliff bars, um, a variety of different protein bars, and I'm using needing to eat something every hour to, you know, even if it's just one one bar. Do you stop for lunch? I do. Yes. Okay. Is that just another tortilla and, and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, typically. It's I'm really just looking for calories most of the time. So while it might be junk food, to, you know, it fills me up. And if I don't do it, I usually lose an unhealthy amount of weight. I'm already pretty skinny as it is. How did it go this year? This year I was able to ma- maintain a pretty constant weight. And I think it's just because I upped the amount I was eating. Okay. And I think I only lost six pounds total. Not and I'm bad. sure that fluctuated throughout the hike. But I was about six pounds lower when I got home than when I left. Yeah. That that actually isn't bad for a guy. <laughs> yeah. Usually, like last year, I struggled really bad. And it was right after the Sierra's. Like, I was on zero energy. Like, I could barely make it up climbs. And I think I was down to, like, 150 pounds or 148, somewhere in there. Wow. And, like, I finished the trail at 162 this year. Oh, yeah, that's a huge difference. Yeah, so, like, I definitely noticed I had way more energy this year. And I think it's just because I bumped up the the amount I was eating. And I was able to do that because I had gotten rid of so much gear that it allowed me to carry a little extra food and not, you know, have a heavier pack. Interesting. So you basically, it's almost like you replaced the weight with food. Yeah. Which kept you healthier, which made you feel better, which made everything easier, which it's like this cycle, this circle. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I like kind of the amount of food where I don't have to worry about, you know, running out before the next time. Did you ever? Well, have... usually, did I ever run out? Is that what you were? Yeah, yeah. I came close a couple times where it's like, you know, those last two days, you kind of have to ration a little bit. But typically, I would get to town with still a day or two of food remaining, which is a little annoying because, like, it's weight you didn't need. But it also right. felt good to just be able to eat whatever and whenever you want and not worry about running out yeah have you ever I'm trying to remember saying but i was gonna say have you ever been out on trail and had to take a zero day or decided to take a zero day which you could do then because you knew you had the extra food that would allow you to do something like that this year was the first year i'd actually ever done or taken a zero on trail and that was just after leaving Kennedy Meadows. We made it, I think, two days out of Kennedy Meadows. And then we got hit by this big snowstorm, dropped like mm-hmm. almost a foot of snow. And myself and the whole group expected that going in. So we all carried plenty of extra food to 
be able to actually stay in one spot for a day. But that is the only time I've actually like zeroed on trail. So here's this is just this is a completely random question, Trevor. Um, okay. But something that just struck my mind and in completely not related to food at all. So That's just warning. 100% you. fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, in a situation like that, where you guys are holed up and, and whatever, I'm assuming, you know, everybody's got their tents and, you know, a lot of people have single, single tents or one person tents and some people have two person tents. Mm-hmm. Was there ever, did you guys ever like say, okay, look, like we're going to just stay a little bit more together. So we're going to, you know, somebody who has a two person tent, let's share a tent and just try to keep ourselves together and that kind of thing. Or did everybody just set up their own tents and, and go about their business? So in that situation, everybody just set up their own. Okay. And we were like a group of 10, I believe, but we were split in like five and five. We kind of split up that day, but nobody was alone. And, you know, I think if it had gotten bad enough or cold enough, mm-hmm. people probably would have stayed, you know, in somebody else's tent for more warmth. But we were still all together. Like we were all camped in one, one spot. So it's not like, we were totally alone. Right. It's not like you guys were spread out across the the mountain. No, we were all in one one camp. Area. And that was a pretty wild experience. Like, I guess I'd never really been snowed on that much on the PCT. Like, we got to that camp, it was actually dry, which was pretty crazy because we were there in early May. But we had gotten to a lower elevation and we knew the storm was coming in, but you know, you wake up in midnight and your tent is just taking on so much snow. Like I actually had to get up three times the night and knock tent or knock snow off the tent so it wouldn't collapse. And one of the people I was with actually did have their tent collapse in the middle of the night because they didn't wake up before that that happened. That was a little stressful. I mean, I was never cold that night, but. You know, the snow's coming down so hard and you're just, every couple hours, you're just knocking the snow off. And you're like, I really hope this stops. Like, how much more can we can we take with the gear that we have? Yeah. I don't think that you're ever fully prepared for that kind of a situation. And then you just, you make do in the moment. Yeah, definitely not on a thru-hike. Thru-hikers usually don't have, like... You, know, you don't have full on winter gear. You have enough to be, for the most part, comfortable. Yeah. But it's hard to deal with a large amount of snow. Yeah. The point of the through hike is not to have to deal with a lot of snow. I agree. And this year, <laughs> this year you weren't going to make it unless you had some snow. <laughs> it was just, yeah. I mean, it snowed everywhere. I got snowed on in, in Washington, and that was the end of June. It's just, it was just part of the hike this year. Yeah. Whereas 2017 was the year of fire and ice. This is just the year of snow. Yeah. And then 15, there was nothing. There was no water, snow, just, just a lot of fire. That was it. How has, because you've, you've now done like the PCT three times and obviously each time is a little different and. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you think that you'll ever get to a point where you're like, you know what, I've done this trail five times, ten times, whatever. Like, there's there's nothing left to 
to see there's nothing left to surprise me? Or do you think it'll always every season, every year that you do it be a new adventure? I think it will always be a new adventure. You know, even if the I've been lucky enough to experience it in three completely different scenarios. Like I've experienced record drought, I've experienced average, and then this year I've experienced record breaking. But for me, it's a new adventure every year, mainly because of the different people you meet every year. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, you're camping in new places, you're seeing some things that you saw in bad weather the previous years, you know, getting to see in good weather. So really none of the through hikes have felt that similar. It's always been kind of a new experience. Interesting. And I will probably be on this trail a lot. It feels like it. <laughs> I mean, I've already had, I think, three people ask me to do the PCT with them. Not any, like, specific years yet, but, like, I already have three PCT hikes plan for the future somewhat just not a specific time right yeah do you know how many like what is the most that the most times that somebody has hiked the pct i believe it's scott williamson and i think he's finished it 13 times okay yeah so you got a ways to go yeah it's not my goal I know. but if it happens it happens <laughs> The, the way you have people uh, calling you to do the PCT, it wouldn't surprise me. It it definitely wouldn't surprise me either. <laughs> it's such a such a good trail. That's what everybody keeps telling me. It's the best one in my opinion. Well, I, I'm I'm looking forward to experiencing that next year. Actually, I everybody's glowing glowing recommendations of it um, are exciting. What is what has been your most memorable experience or memory of being on a trail? I would say it's probably gonna be a weird answer, but mm-hmm. my best memories are the worst some of the worst days. The most vivid memories are the ones where it's terrible weather and in that moment you're absolutely hating your life. I mean you're you don't want to be there. You want to be somewhere warm. But once you make it through that, you look back and you're like, wow, that was like, I felt so alive. <laughs> Which is, it might not make sense, but those are the moments that stick out the most to me are the ones that seem pretty miserable at the time. No, I, I it makes complete sense, particularly when you say specifically, you feel so alive. Mm-hmm. I I totally get the the draw, the call of that. Like a good example of that is this year uh, going over Forest Pass mm-hmm. in early May. I mean, it, it looks like the middle of winter, and your shoes are frozen, your fingers are frozen, and you don't want to be anywhere else except somewhere warm. But when I go back and look at those videos and those pictures, I'm like considering myself extremely lucky to get to experience that because not a lot of people get to go out in conditions like that. And it's just extremely rewarding. I I saw those videos. They were, they're pretty epic. 
oh yeah, looking back, I'm like, is it really that steep? <laughs> Some of the videos, it just looks like we shouldn't have been doing what we were doing. <laughs> I know, watching you guys come across the chute at Forester Pass, I'm just like, oh my god. Yeah, it was... It was one of my favorite days on the whole hike, but it was also, you know, it was a little scary. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you feel like we haven't talked about that we should? I'm not like specifically about hiking, I don't think, but maybe like what kind of inspiration I can give the people wanting to go out of their comfort zone and then attempt to hike. We haven't talked about that. Talk to I think we've covered that. most. I think we've covered most of the food and gear yeah. stories. I think, <laughs> as far as I know. Yeah, no, we're we're definitely good on that. But but talk to me about the inspiration. <sighs> <laughs> you opened it. Yeah, I brought it up, and now I'm like, <laughs> no, I think it's completely normal to be nervous and maybe even downright terrified if you're like wanting to go attempt to walk 2,600 miles and you've never done anything like that. Yeah. But really, I mean, you just got to get out there and try. Anybody can do it. It's more mental than physical. I know several people that had never backpacked in their life, even like weekend backpacking, and they were able to finish a third hike. And I think that alone is extremely inspirational. But really, if you want to do it bad enough, that you can do it. Do you stay focused on the day, the moment, or do you look at it as the whole and keep the the main the the big goal in mind? I think it's better to not look at the big goal. Okay. I find myself doing that sometimes, and then I have to like kind of like tell myself, "What? Well, don't think about that yet." Mm-hmm. I'm usually thinking like, you know, take it one section at a time get to the next town okay and then you know there's some people that are like okay next water source that's all i'm focusing on and i think that's a good way to approach it especially if you're new starting out like looking at the whole thing is just looking at it as a whole can be really overwhelming and that's going to cause a lot more mental strain yeah no i hear you it's funny i i fluctuate these days between, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. I can't wait to do it. I da, 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 versus, oh my God, what am I doing? How am I going to do this? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah, I'm the same way. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you like, get to the halfway point, it's like you've done so much and then you think about it and you're like, I still have another half to do. Yeah. And that's when it's like, that's probably the most overwhelming part for me. In fact, on each through hike, I always struggle around the halfway point. Like, even this year, I was like, I'd already been through so much snow, and was just sick of snow. And then you think, like, I've been out here 100 days, and I'm not even, I'm just now halfway. I think I hit the halfway point on day 100 this year, which is just crazy, because normally it does not take that long. How many days total were you out there? Uh, 168. Was that just because of you flipping around and the conditions and the snow and? Mostly the snow. The flipping around 
never really took a long time. Okay. But like, for instance, we, once we reached Kennedy Meadows, there were some storms moving in and people were waiting for gear to get shipped to Kennedy Meadows. So I think we ended up zeroing there like four days. Okay. But there was just a lot of big chunks of zeros and mostly because of weather. It adds up. If people want to continue following your adventures or have questions for you, where where can they, should they find you? The two best places would be YouTube and Instagram. I have done a Q&A on each one so far, and I'm going to probably be doing that more frequently because I like to interact with the people following me, which is something I never had to say. <laughs> <laughs> so I learned that this year. It's something I actually enjoy. And I'll be doing some gear reviews on YouTube uh, this winter while I'm off trail. Okay. And I'll continue to post on Instagram, just different pictures throughout the hike. And on Instagram, it's crunchmaster underscore hikes. Okay. And then on YouTube, you can just search uh, crunchmaster hikes and it'll be the first thing that pops up. Is that all, essentially all one word? Uh, YouTube, it'll be two words. Okay. Crunchmaster is one word. Right. And then yeah. space hikes. Yes. Perfect. Uh, thank you so much, Trevor. This has been amazing. Um, and you've actually, it's funny, like right at the end there, you, you literally hit on what has been in my head this last week about um, the excitement and the, te- the sheer terror of what this is. <laughs> so yeah. thank and you. I, I still get that. Like, I'm extremely excited for whatever hike I'm on next but then I'm still nervous. Like I still get the nerves, which is weird. <laughs> yeah. But it's completely normal. So you just got to embrace it and go for it. Yeah. You can't let it stop you. Definitely not. You have to at least try. And that's, that's usually what I tell people that are looking to do it. You know, you're not going to know if you can do it until you get out there. As with so many things in life. Oh Yeah. You can learn a lot about knowing the life on through hikes for sure. Yeah. And that's probably the part that I'm most looking forward to. Can't wait to be back. It sounds like you've got plans for that. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh. Well, thank you so much. Yep. No problem. notes and links for Trevor's gear can be found on our website at hiking-through.com. Special thanks to Trevor for sharing his stories from the trails and Maya Wynn for the use of the song Try Again. If you have through hiking adventures to share, we'd love to hear them. Please email me at hikingthroughpodcast at gmail.com or you can also DM me on Instagram at hikingthroughpodcast. If you like what we're doing here, we would love it if you'd find us on your favorite podcast provider, and leave a review. I'll see you on the trail. Mm-hmm.